0: I don't know which PowerPoint you have loaded, but I have. This is we're on. We're going to start number six tonight, but I'll finish up on number five: mission and vision, what God's called us to do. I don't know that I have a whole lot um, um, on on this that we haven't covered, other than the very end. So I'm going to fast forward to that. And thank you, by the way, if you're joining us online, we're glad to have you. Uh, I'm not going to do a lot of review. Uh, we did a lot of that last week, so um, so. We left off last week talking about practical involvement man my my voice almost broke there i 'm getting getting choked up um, not really just kidding um, and we talked that 's where we left off last week talking about practical involvement, which is stuff most of us already you know know uh, dealing with membership um, <clears throat> and talking about some of the the need to replace ourselves and and uh, go on forward with the mission um, and so we talked about the need to um, attend church services regularly um, and so hebrews ten twenty five that's become a mantra after the covid situation and then getting connected to adult bible fellowships how important that is sunday night prayer meeting we had some new people sunday night so praise the lord for that and then um we talked about fellowship uh and i'm going to skip through those because we covered all of that last week and stewardship uh and prayer teams and mission t- trips and uh missionary pathway I kind of glossed over that uh missionary what is a missionary pathway there if you are someone who is interested in in really answering the call uh to be a missionary you need to see myself and Pastor Randy we have a process called missionary pathway that we use to prepare people who are called to plant churches and to be missionaries and so uh we can help you with that and Practically speaking, though, too, you need to just prepare your life financially, and um, getting involved in, um, in the ministry in a way that uh, God can continue to grow you. We'll help guide you through all of that. And that left me to where we were last week on our con- on our on our final contemplation. So I just want to touch on this. How many of you did that? How many of you had the handout to do that? So a couple of you. Um, I, I anticipated that maybe people wouldn't really do it. So. That's why I was going to go ahead and do a little bit of that tonight. So when you, um, you know, obviously the the real issue is when do you get saved? Um, And I don't know. Yeah, I don't have that on here. So if you want to switch me, that's good. You know, obviously you can't really enjoy body life and be engaged with um, mission and vision if you're not saved. So that's where you got to start. But one of the practical things I would just start in this room, I think we have enough people that are diverse enough that you could really step through this. One of the first things that you really got to consider about being, uh, you know, being on mission and having God's vision is can you, number one, do you have a testimony of salvation? What is it? It doesn't have to be my testimony. You know, it doesn't have to be the way I got saved. Every, Paula shared a good testimony, uh, I think, was that last week or week before? Week before, you know, she got saved and it was 17 years before she got baptized, and then another few years after that was a 17 years, I believe, and then several years after that she was a, finally started discipleship, right? And and just really, um, what a sad thing. I was on the phone with someone this week talking about this very thing, about how they were never taught the Bible, you know, saved, baptized, but never taught the Bible. So I was explaining some some basic things. Uh, they were asking me the difference between denominations and so on and so forth and why we believe this and that. And, and, you know, I was just walking them through and they're like, and and by the way, these are people in Baptist churches, you know, uh, and they just were not, discipleship just was not, I guess, a thing in many churches, still is not a thing really in many churches today. So so it starts with just salvation and having a testimony and can you effectively share your testimony? Okay, so everyone that's born again has a, a testimony of when you came to faith in Christ or i'm going to be wondering if you're saved right uh, we did have a lady one time wanted to join and she kept telling me i got saved because i was born a christian <laughs> we're like no and three of us went through with her and she just and she finally brought me john piper's you know testimony like it was her testimony and i'm like i don't care about john piper's testimony i care about you and the bible says you need to call upon the, name of the lord to be saved there needs to be a moment in your life where you understood you were a sinner and understood what Jesus did on the cross and died on the cross for your sins and trust him as your Lord and Savior. Um, it's as simple as childlike faith, right? But it's still uh, profound and you can't just, you know, cerebrally get saved. You have to confess with the mouth and believe in the heart that God, Jesus Christ, is God and that he is raised from the dead, that he died on the cross for your sins and he's alive right now. And, 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 and uh, you know, you need to confess that and call upon his name and thank him for dying for your sins and confess that you're a sinner and receive his grace and mercy for salvation and um she she just was like not going to do that so we i wouldn't let her join so her testimony was not a good testimony right that's only happened about once or twice i mean where someone's like i've had people that aren't saved all the time that that you know we have an opportunity to have a conversation and they're usually open to the gospel (laughs) but it's been one there's only been about once where i've had someone like literally dig in their heels and say look I don't care about saved by grace. I'm saved because I my mama told me, you know, and I'm just like, God bless your mama, but man, she is not the Bible, you know. So uh, so what is your salvation testimony? And then can you articulate it? Um, so you can have a, a testimony that's not really good and articulate that. That's not so hot. Um, and then you can have a bad t- or testimony that um, mo- uh, what I'm really referring to is just a moment in time where you trusted Christ. Rather, you can remember the exact moment and the date, like I know the day and the hour, not everybody knows that, but there's usually a season in your life where you know that you came to the point of repentance. You changed your heart and mind about sin and the Savior, and you trusted him and him alone and his finished work for salvation. All right, so now more practically then, are you on mission? Do you have the vision? Uh, if you ha- How many of you would – I mean, I don't want you to raise your hands in case somebody can't tonight, but I think most of us could raise our hands and say, I could – well, let me ask it this way. How many of you feel comfortable sharing your testimony? Okay, so most of you, you know, sharing your testimony is really just your story, right? That's so simple, right? It's the easiest way to share the gospel. I can't tell you how many times God's opened the door for me to share the gospel through just sharing my testimony. So I don't say, this is how I got saved. I don't even start there. I just tell, I usually start with my unbelief. Start where I was at, and then I begin walking them into how God opened my eyes. And how I got saved. And I don't always go into the nitty-gritty details. Sometimes I just open the Bible itself. And, and I just explain to him. You know a guy showed me this verse right here in Romans 3.23. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And you know I didn't believe that. You know I I, I I really wasn't. I thought I could work my way to heaven. But the Bible says over here. And he showed me this verse. And I and he. that's really the truth. That's what happened to me when the lights came on. And I just walk him through that. And it's been awesome just to, to use your testimony as a way to witness so now, more practically, most of us here are comfortable with our testimony and able and ability to share it, which we should be. Uh, okay, so when was the last time you did that, um, with another person intentionally? Now, don't raise your hand, but maybe, maybe today, yesterday, this week, last week, last month. I mean, really? I mean, six months ago, a year ago? So, you know, think about that, and and I'm not trying to guilt anybody out. I'm just pointing out that it's, you know, I can go on for weeks and weeks on teaching things, but at the end of the day, it's really that simple. You know, just, that's where you start. Just sharing with other people how you came to faith in Christ, uh, having that that gospel testimony. So Jesse, uh, Jesse, Jamie's was here a couple weeks ago. And, uh, on Wednesday night, we were talking about this, and then he, I was talking about how if you pray for doors of utterance, God will bring them. I mean, he wants people saved more than we do. People are looking to get saved oftentimes more than we're willing to witness. So the next day, he prayed, and he had two opportunities. I think he witnessed to three people, and, uh, he sent me a message saying, Hey, man, I just want you to know, I asked, and God provided. You know, I thought that was pretty cool. And so, uh, God will do that. So that's the first place. So salvation. Your salvation and your testimony is one of the greatest ways to really engage in what God has called you to do. You don't have to go through discipleship one. You don't, I mean, technically you don't even have to be a member. But if you're like I was when I got saved, you know, it didn't take me long to realize, like, I didn't know nothing. And the people that did respond, I needed more people that knew more than I did to get them anywhere. So that's actually what drew me to the local church, even though I was super cynical. I mean, super cynical to local churches. So I was cynical when cynical wasn't cool. You know, I was, was that country before country was cool. Yeah, so I was like cynical before being cynical. At churches was cool. And uh, and God still brought me in. And now, now I'm a pastor because the joke is on me. So have you ever attended uh, a Next Steps meeting? That's another practical thing, just practically, you know. Now, some I just had someone last week that's been a member already. And they're like, I've never been to a Next Steps meeting. I said, well, you should come. You probably know most of what is in that meeting, but there's a chance there's stuff you don't know. So you're welcome and wanted. You don't have to be a, a, a member uh, that's, or someone who's considering membership to come to a Next Steps meeting. However, it is designed for that. I will tell you that. It's it's not necessarily designed to, to – it's not a new member's class. Sometimes people get Next Steps meeting uh, confused with a new – a lot of class churches have new member classes. We don't have that. i let discipleship take care of that. Next steps is exactly what it's called. It is the next step. Some people that come to that, their next step is salvation. That's what they need to work on. Some people come to that, the next step is um, uh, sanctification, meaning they need to get discipled. Maybe their next step isn't actually joining our church. Their next step is, you know what, I want to get discipled. Okay, maybe that's the next step for them. Uh, Other people, the next step is membership right they' They're there because they want to be a member and they want to know more about the church. okay, well, that's all in that meeting too, And so anywhere from salvation, maybe they come and they're like, "Hey, I want to be a missionary. I'm coming to find out if you can send me. you know okay well this that class will work for you too. All of that is combined in is, is in, in that class. So next steps is a good place to be. If you're like like wondering, what is this all about? That's a good class to go to. It's once every other month after church have lunch and we enjoy time uh, learning what the next step is for you individually. Um, and then, of course, discipleship's a big deal. Salvation, membership, discipleship. W- would you say that you follow Jesus in your decisions and actions? And that's, you know, well, sometimes, all the time, or no. You know, if you don't, you need to go back up and check box one: Are you saved? And if you're saved, then why aren't you obedient? That's the bottom line. Um, and so that was that was on a that was on the questionnaire. And if you circled, sometimes I, I would be interested. And this isn't for my edification, so I put, I made this for you guys. What percentage of the time would you say that you are um, obediently following the Lord? If you're like 50% of the time, okay, well then you know. Uh, is that objective? How do you know if you're? How do you know, by the way, if you're following the Lord? Um, I was talking to someone yesterday and talking about somebody. Oh, he'll be in heaven. He's, and it's a guy I grew up with who died suddenly, yesterday, uh, and so someone called me from his childhood friend, I guess, not a friend, but kind of a friend, acquaintance, I don't know what to call it, terrorist, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh he died, and and so, um you know, I hope he's in heaven, I don't know that he's in heaven, I don't know why, what basis we're putting, I don't know why, I mean, he could have gotten saved, I don't know, enough to know. I know his little brother who hung himself and was a good, well, kind of I I wouldn't say good friend. We were very close. I'm not sure we were friends. But anyway, long story. Um, I think he got saved. I was there when he accepted Christ at a church meeting uh, and even was baptized in troubled family. So you can be saved and then have like zero, you know, walking in the Spirit. I mean, it's possible. Um, and that's why you hang yourself and you're in your 20, 28, 30 years old or whatever. No, probably 32, because it's miserable. You know, you're not walking in the Spirit. So, um, and so, you know, uh, I don't want that for anybody. I want folks to follow Jesus. I want folks to, I want to know, like when we go to the funeral, we don't have any doubts you were saved. <laughs> there's fruit in your life, right? We want to know because you've been following Jesus faithfully. You know, if there's just something about, uh, knowing, you know, beyond just somebody said, yeah, I'm, I, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I got baptized. I mean, those are all good things, and I hope that's all true, but where's the fruit? You know, where is the fruit? And I'm not saying you're not saved, right? In in 1 Corinthians, when that young man was committing, uh, fornicating with his his, uh, stepmom, Paul never said he wasn't saved. He just said, don't fellowship with him. And then he restored him without ever questioning his salvation, as far as we saw, at least in the text. Cause he just treated, if he said he was saved, he took him as saved, but he expected him to live like it. That's the difference. In America today, a lot of people, like, get off my back. I said what you wanted me to say. Well, okay. Give me a little grace here because the people who followed Jesus died, literally. (laughs) So the people who gave us this King James Bible, they died, a lot of them, to get it to us. They were all in. We need to be all in. We really do. Okay. We all stumble, I stumble, we all fall and fail. But let's, if we're at 25%, let's ask the Lord to help us get to 30%. Let's ask the Lord to get to 50%. I do believe that if we want, we could be at 10% or 5%, and if we just really say, look Lord, I'm done, and you, you control my life, I will do what you tell me to do, give me the next right step, I will get involved in discipleship, I'll do what the pastors tell me to do, I'll do what the ABF pastor tells me to do, I'll do what my disciple tells me to do, I'll do what the Bible tells me to do, most importantly. You know what? You can bridge that gap like almost instantly. God's super gracious like that. He will pour out His spirit on you, and you will wake up the next day and your life. Look, at, it won't be easier necessarily, but it will be. It will. You will still be. You'll be walking in the spirit, and it will be much different. And so it, the yoke will be easy, and the burden will be light. So you got to exchange your burden, uh, and that's ultimately what you know. What we do here at Heartland is try to get people to do that. Uh, so, do you have a desire to draw closer to God's acceptable and perfect will? Um, and you got to be honest in that, because sometimes we don't, right? If you do, it's as simple as First John, chapter one and verse nine, All right? And when I say that, look at open up your, your Bibles. Um, Caleb, could you do me a favor real quick and pull the go out and pull that that, that uh, whiteboard in for me? I won't tarry on this, but um, many of you have seen me put. The, I'm going to put up a chart here. Um, I'm actually using this same chart I'm going to show you at the marriage Conference I'm doing this weekend but in Romans chapter 12 many of you know this verse It says I beseech you therefore brethren By the mercies of God that ye present Your bodies a living sacrifice Wholly acceptable unto God Which is your reasonable service So he says it's really reasonable to Yield your body thank you As a living sacrifice I'll pull it in here so it can get closer to the Camera frame And uh Somehow I need to figure out how to flip this dude hickey. You know what? Oh, yeah, I'll flip it. Oh, wait. It's down here. you got to be smarter than the whiteboard. There we go. Isn't that slick? You remember the old whiteboard we had on 2x4s? It was a monstrosity, man. It was built to last, man. I'll tell you what. I liked it. It just, it was really, it was a little bit cumbersome. It certainly wasn't slick like that where you could just flip it. So, Romans, uh, Romans 12, 1 through 3. Very familiar to most of us. So, there's a couple ways I look at that passage. Um, if you look at that like a, like a, like a bullseye, you know, you have, you have the good, you have the acceptable, and then you have the perfect will of God. You know where I learned this, by the way. I got to give some credit to Bob Bob uh, Matthews, who was here for our discipleship conference, and uh, he was sharing this with me in my counseling time. Whenever um, I was uh, uh, a shepherd school student, I was going to say an HBI student. Okay, so if this is, you know, obviously the center is perfect. Now in the Bible, that that word "perfect" just really means complete, right, or whole. My 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 writing's a little bit small. Let's just say that's acceptable, and then this is the good will of God, right? <clears throat> and so we all kind of in our life. You know, we kind of tend, and some of it's just based on what we know, you know, if you don't know anything, and I'll just say if you're saved, right, you're, you're on the map, you know, you hit the, you hit the board, you know, you got saved, praise God. But, you know, sin kind of draws us in and out. we're in the perfect will of God, we're in here, but we don't always walk, you know, in the perfect will. So we kind of, sometimes we migrate, we have a good week, man, vision conference, and then we start backsliding, and then, you know, whatever, you know, and so we just kind of, kind of weave in and out of there. You know, And really the idea is you want to get that pattern. It's just like if you shoot a weapon, right? You want to get that pattern tighter and tighter all the time and get it to where you're hitting a bullseye. And so it doesn't, and the thing about this is it doesn't matter how long you're saved. Don't you wish you could just be saved 30 years and it's just an easy street? It's not. You still have to wake up every day and you've got to determine that you're going to die daily. You're going to put the word first. You're going to put your heart in the right spot. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved here. I could wake up tomorrow and be back out here. You know, you can just chuck it and go walking in the flesh. Let your flesh have control of you. And so it's a a decision that we make, actually. That's why he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That happens where? In the mind, right? So that's what he says. He says, um, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And for I say to the grace given to every uh, unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And that faith is important. And so, what you're doing is you're proving, right? You don't proving is something you try it, you test it, you you do it, right? You you do what the Bible says. You don't just know what the Bible says. You're like, oh, okay, God, I'm going to trust this. <clears throat> I've never trusted you with my relationships. That's kind of touchy-feely. That goes good today. <coughs> and uh, Caleb, can I ask you to do one more thing? Can you turn that to cool? And I feel bad. I see. I see. Uh, no, it is a little. It's getting a little steamy in here. So 500 BTUs per person. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, so at any rate, it's probably on heat, is my guess right now. And it should be about 70, which is cool. Not cold, but cool. So, yeah, you, you really—this is one of those things. When you're looking at that, you're like, "Well, is my am I making up my mind to follow Jesus?" Uh, when Bob Weston was here, how many remember Bob Weston? Remember that song he, he made? He sang, my, "I have my mind made up. My mind's made up. I'm going to follow the Lord." Right? I'm butchering how it goes, but I got my mind made up. And he just—and that's really what he's talking about. I've made up my mind. I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, you follow Jesus with what you know. You can't follow Jesus with what you don't know. Right? So you there has to be a mind transformation so that we can conform to his image. So you and Paul deals with this very clearly in, in, in 1 in first Corinthians. The carnal mind, right? People that are carnal are like babies. Babies are carnal because babies don't know any different. Even physical babies, right? We don't we you do not get mad at a baby when they poop their pants. But I mean, I better have a real good excuse if I come home and my drawers are full. Amy's going to say, what is wrong with you? She'll either be rushing me to the hospital, find out what's wrong, uh, or I'm very, uh, you know, there's a problem because I know better. I have control over that. The more we know about the word, the more we can prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? The The more control we will have over, what, our bodies. Give your body to the Lord. Now, just... Now, I'm just going to be. As we get older, continence can be an issue, so I'm not. Don't take that illustration too far, but I'm just saying uh, there is a, there is a point of of being able to um, to prove the will of God. That's what I'm talking about on that question. When I talk about percentage wise, how how uh, you know what percentage would you say you're, you're following the Lord? You know, and you can always confess your sin. First John one nine, and and that's that takes faith even. To, to trust God for your sin and believe you're forgiven. How many of you struggle with guilt? Right? I worked with a, a fellow man. He would he and he wasn't in our church, but he was a guy a good Christian brother. He died of a heart attack, but he uh, he's the first time I heard a guy tell me or it really hit me. He's like, Man Brian, I go to the altar and I lay it all down. He goes, Man I just pick it back up and take it with me You know? And that you can do that. You can come to the Lord and you can lay you can say, Lord I, I trust you with this but you really don't and then you just take and you walk away and then you just pile that burden right back on Well, you know, what? that's a romans 12 problem, right? You got to prove this thing out. You got to really believe what the bible says That you are justified you are sanctified Uh, you know, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. So we covered that in one of our previous lessons um, okay, so We talked about the seven stages of spiritual growth um now, don't raise your hand on this one, but, you know, when you look at that chart, where would you say you are at? And so on those seven stages of spiritual growth, I like if you can't handle the seven stages of spiritual growth, I like to take this chart a little kind of like in turn it lineal. This is a kind of an addition to what God um, showed me with Bob. And if you kind of make it like a highway, I think we went through this with the morrows, didn't we, in discipleship? So if you make it. Yeah, so if you make it like a highway, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, a good age is 70 years. Now, for me, I got saved down here. I just I was 16 going on 17, just about 17 years old. So if I live to be 70 years old, if the Lord doesn't come back, you know, I only got so much time in this time frame. And God, he deserves to get the most bang for his buck. I mean, he redeemed me. I don't, I'm not worth it. Plug nickel you know but he redeemed me anyway and so he deserves to get the most bang for his buck now this is what happens if we don't discipline our minds if we don't if we don't prove what is that good acceptable and perfect will of god and 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 give our bodies to god like hey lord they need someone to move tables i don't want to move tables but i'm going to give my body to the lord because i can move tables so i should do that you know just simple stuff like that i mean we're not talking about you know going off and dying on the mission field it just starts with simple stuff you know um and it starts in marriage by the way it starts in how you treat your children It start i mean all of those things that's actually where the rubber starts meeting the road where people start to see the fruit it's like you know i'm going to love my wife like christ loved the church i'm going to i'm going to submit to my husband even though i think he's a you know whatever i'm going to do it because the lord told me to i'm going to trust the lord for the results that's that's faith that's proving all things that's proving the good acceptable and perfect will of god okay so we can mess around, and uh, we can decide to live over here on the margins as we travel through life. And you know, every time the vision conference or the Bible conference comes, you get convicted or whatever, and you you pull yourself back into the middle. You know, but you're kind of like a drunk driver, just swerving your way through life. Or you can decide that, you know what, Lord, by God's grace, I'm going to try to stay down in the middle of the road. Now, none of us none of us are batting a thousand, so. We may swerve a little here and we may swerve a little here, but we're trying to keep it. And as we get it evened out, you know what? You're going to get a lot more out of your life as far as what God intended for you. If you can keep it in the perfect will of God, good, acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to stay out here just on the margins, well, you know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a little, but I, not all. You know, I'm just going to give some. I don't, I'm not even talking about money. Just so you know, I'm talking about our life. You know what? You'll find out that when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, he had a lot more planned for you, but you were you were at mile marker 5 and God had he wanted you at mile marker 500. Because you didn't get as far down the road as you could have. Now, I don't want to lay burdens of regret on people. This is so awesome about God. Um, you're like, "Man, Brian, I'm 80 years old." Cuz I don't think anyone in here's 80, so that's a good analogy. I'm 80 years old. And I've been stuck back here, you know. I've just been—I'm saved, but I'm not going anywhere. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't—I haven't grown since 1962, you know. And uh, I'm stuck. Okay, you can redeem the time. That is so wonderful about God. God has a way of making up for lost time. I can't tell you how that's going to happen. I'm not even going to promise you that's going to happen. I'm just telling you. He does a way of making up for lost time if you consecrate yourself, that's grace He didn't have to But he will he'll make up for mistakes. He'll make up for lost time He'll turn something bad to good like he did with joseph if you can stay focused on the mark Right and take the time that you have and run it out because god's gracious like that and so um So just so, you, so when you look at the seven stages of spiritual growth That also impacts this this looks like someone's ekg doesn't it and so um so when you look at that that's we talked about the seven stages, you can look at that and you can say, Well, you know, where am I at in regard to the seven stages? Uh, yeah, in that I'll back that up just to remind you. I put it in that in the handout. Oh, we're on the new one. Sorry. I won't back it up, so don't worry about it. It was in the it was in the old one, but we don't have to run through those again. They're on the they're on the notes there. The repentance uh with salvation, enlightenment, participation, ministry, developing leadership, consecration, reevaluation, all of the things we talked about. Do you know where you're at? Do you think about where you're at? Uh if not, you should. Right? That's really why I'm doing this series uh because it's important that the body of Christ thinks about where they are and and ask God to get you to grow you, just to grow you forward. The the the, the markers are not the you're not like trying to achieve those those things happen naturally. But it's it's really what we talk about with Romans that gets you there. It's just really focusing on Having your mind and mindset to where I'm going to do what the Bible tells me to do, and when I mess up, I'm going to confess it and forsake it, and God will have mercy. And I'm going to, by God's grace, I'm going to watch God, you know, use my life for His honor and glory. And it's going to be manifest in all your relationships with your family, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people at church, obviously. But the people at church will fake it till they make it. I literally have people tell me that I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm like, ooh, that is the worst thing I've ever heard a Christian tell me. I'm glad they were honest. So uh, that's not cool, though. That's not the way God would have it. All right, do you have a desire to grow beyond that level? So that's really the issue when when you boil it down that only you can answer. Like, I can get up and talk about all this stuff and put it in papers and writing and chart it out and all of that. But at the end of the day, every individual person has to decide, do I love my sin and want to just keep staying there? Or am I really willing to give it up? Because let's be honest. We love sin, right? We don't want to give it up, whatever it is. Now, you're like, I'm forgiven of my sins. We've been talking about that. Yeah, you're forgiven of your sins, but at the end of the day, we should, we should replace the sin with things that God would have us to do because we can. Um, and the devil will talk eventually, he'll talk you into the, back into the position where you think you can You're in bondage to the weak and beggarly elements of the world. Not really. You think you are, but you're not. I'm like that. I mean, there's times in my life I think I really need ice cream, but I don't. I just think I do, right? I really want that stuff, but I don't really have to have an M&M. I just think I do, right? But I'm telling you, when you get a craving for that, it does, Your body will tell you. I've actually ran through my kitchen like a drug addict looking for sweets before. I mean, and I catch my, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I need life issues right now. <laughs> I mean, this is bad because I'm I'm jonesing for some sugar you know this stuff's addictive and so um i know it's kind of that's funny and it's not illegal but it's it's still it'll hurt you if you if you because i can't i don't like a little i like a lot so uh so you know anyway that's just an analogy but we can grow and if we want to that's at the end of the day if we want to and that's a personal evaluation so i put that on there you can evaluate that um and even if you said no, maybe you're in a situation where you would consider this. Would you be willing to meet with the pastor and talk to him about why you're stuck? Because chances are you're probably stuck on something you won't talk about to anybody. And you need help. That's why you're stuck. Because God has people here that, that need to help you. That's what the church is here. We're not going to condemn you. Oh. <gasps> You're not stuck You think that you're stuck on something nobody else in the church has ever been stuck on Actually, the bible is quite the opposite. There has no temptation taking you but such as is common demand God is able I mean he's able he'll get you through it. So maybe you need some encouragement Maybe that's what you need is someone to sit down and show you in the bible You know i'm going to use an extreme analogy what well, used to be extreme which is now trying to be mainstreamed. Um, but uh because it's so common and, and perverse this is a perverse example but it's relevant to our culture so so say say there's someone struggling with same-sex attraction oh oh no okay that's not good right that's not healthy that's not biblical however it isn't something that we can't help you with right there's there's and, and i hate to tell you this but there's people in our church probably and i would even say certainly but i'm not going to tell you who that have struggled with those things you know, okay, you didn't see me get on the pulpit and call them out. I'm not going to do that because it's just another sin. We've all got issues. Okay, well, let's work on that. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's see what kind of accountability can be there. Let's see how you can replace those thoughts. You know, those things can be worked out. You don't have to just succumb to the wave of the world, you know. Um, and so a lot of that is just, you know, the flesh, on it, honestly, so it can be worked out um you capture it in thoughts and then and the, the rest of it will follow you won't have to deal with the actions and then you can reverse the curse i mean it's, it really is that simple and god's well able to overcome it all right so um you know there's and there's people out there. there's books on it now i mean that's, that's a mainstream thing Jack, jackie hill perry and people like that have written books and so on and so forth so um if, and so if, if you're like, no, I, you know what, Brian, I, I I, really don't want to grow and I don't really want to let go of my sin and I really don't want to talk to anybody about it. Okay. If you say no to that, well, um, you're kind of stuck. Um, but if you, if you say yes, I will, you know what, we'll give you the next right step. And then the last one was, would you say that you're engaged in ministry uh, that effectively allows you to accomplish the mission? Yes or no? And if not, why not? If the answer is yes, you know, you could describe that. And if not, you know, why not? Because you have every opportunity to get on mission right here at HBF. We have a, give you every opportunity to do that. So that was the evaluation form. I'm going to put that away. Any, before I do that, are there any questions about that or any comments or any testimony that anybody would have regarding that? That was a, really just a summation of what we were covering in the mission and vision, uh, lesson on, that, that we did. It took us about three weeks to kind of go through slowly. So, okay. So, uh, I was going to try to get to that last week, but we didn't. I had that, I don't know why. We just, I'm too windy, I guess. So, alright. So, let's, uh, let's move on to interacting, interaction. This is, this is the last, the last of the Mohicans. So we've covered everything up to the number six, interactions, touching the lives of others with the Word of God. All right, we've talked about provision, protection, function, relation, identification, mission and vision. We just wrapped it up. What's God calling you to do? Now, let's talk about interaction, touching the lives of others with the Word of God. All right, so this lesson uh, is designed... Sorry, I went too quick. There we go. This lesson is designed... uh, to understand the love of God, how the, I left a word out there, and this lesson is designed to, so you can understand the love of God has given to, a, that is terrible, what in the world, I can't even read it, how did I copy that, this this lesson is designed so that you can understand the love of God has, uh, the love of God has given to us so we can get, freely give it to others, so basically that is butchered, let's get past that before someone sees it, all right, so um, we're going to cover true love in this lesson, um, and we're going to cover true forgiveness, true repentance, then we'll be done. So true love is God's love, um, and that's, that's something that the world needs to understand. Of course, many of us know John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, that's what Jesus said, not me. So um, that's pretty concise, right? So we, we understand that, um, that we're, we're already sinners. We're already condemned. But it's the love of God that, that frees us. So the love of God, uh, just some attributes about the love of God. And we need to know this today. The love of God is Pure. Uh, selfless and divine it's not like our love i mean it really is pure love it's 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 divine you know i i, I can't god has a love that is just it's divine so the word translated love in john 3 16 is agapeo um, you often hear it called agape uh, this love is is a love based in morality and of course god is perfect so he has the perfect love and his love is perfect, pure, and divine, right? So, um, he has perfect love. Uh, agape is love is not limited uh, to the Godhead either. It's not limited to the Godhead. The word is found 142 times in the New Testament, and it's used to describe our love for God and our love for the brethren. So, so what am I saying? Uh, we can love we can have a pure love for God, and we can have a pure love for others. Why? because it comes from God, right God gives us the ability to love uh, this is not a love that you possess it 's a love that God gives you that 's how you love your enemies right How many of you've had hatred toward your enemies, and then God literally changes your heart and you have a a compassion for them i've had that i've had that experience on more than one occasion, and I really don 't have an excuse i don 't have an explain, explanation other than god god 's the only one that can do that. Because if it was my flesh, I would just be in bitterness and resentment. But God just, like, does something supernatural. That's the love of God working through you. So God can do that. Romans 8, 28, we, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So you can love God. Uh, and we should love God, right? That's that's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 8, 3, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So when we're loving God... It's going to be obvious because, well, it's divine. I mean, you're loving, you're going to be doing, actually, Roman, we're back to Romans. You're going to be doing, that's what loving God is. You're proving out, you're trusting his word. You're, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? That's what loving God is. Uh, Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love, same word, his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So she's not called to love, she's called to reverence. He's called to love his wife. Uh, more you know, at least as much as you love yourself. You know, you should love her more than yourself, but we love ourselves a lot. So it's pretty hard sometimes. All right, so first Thessalonians three twelve, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as We do towards you so they were an example of that love and and they were asking them to emulate what they were seeing That's really what we should be doing in our relationships there. And that's what this is this lesson is about You know, we should we in this world. It's hard to find true love or to see true love Uh, And so the place where people ought to see that and experience it is heartland When they walk in here and unfortunately, that's not always the case, but but ultimately it should be the case um, and so uh, that's where we, people should experience true love when they see uh, the relationship of Jesus Christ when we explain the gospel, but then also when we live the gospel and then how do people know we're the disciples of Jesus? Well, when we have love one toward another, so this is literally on display. So like my wife uh, grew up, she didn't have like a, the normal nuclear family, mom and dad, you know, two and a half dogs and all that stuff. So, so when our kids were little, you know, she was always kind of like, man, uh, you're like being affectionate in front of the kids. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, there's different love levels in the, you know, you get it. You know, there's a roast. We won't get into that tonight. So there's, there's love, and then there's different ways that's expressed in the in the marriage. But so it's not all the same. It's, it's healthy. That's why I tell, it's like, oh, how did I know that? Because my mom and dad were affectionate. They weren't perverse or anything weird. I mean, but it does something for a kid when they see their parents love one another. And you see them being affectionate, kind, gentle. Uh, I learned a lot. My dad was, in that respect, was a super dad and a good example. He was very loving to my mom in a lot of different ways. He served. He was protected. You know, everything you would want to see, for the most part, in that regard, that, that, that was what I got to grow up with. I got to see him dance. I got to see him, you know, giggle and goof off and just love each other. Like, sincerely love each other. Well that that does something in you you know you 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 enjoy that as a child that there's security in that there's things there that you want to see emulated which gets me back to my story uh my own testimony i'm like oh no honey this is it's the kids aren't going to think we're weird they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna appreciate that their mom and dad it's going to bring security to them now i'm not talking about being weird and gross in front of your kids so let's let's you get what i'm saying but the world's perverted stuff in a way that, you know, you kind of blur the lines, right? Uh, it's, um, what am I talking about? Pure love. Just pure love. It, obviously, in a marital context, in a family context, does also involve affection. I had a friend of mine discipling a guy one time, and, and this guy was so dysfunctional. He loved his daughters, but he would never hug them, never would hold them. Little ones. I'm not talking about, you know, too old. We're talking toddlers. 2 years old, 18 months, whatever, you know. And this friend of mine was disciple and said, "Hey dude." Uh, and he at the time he didn't even have children <laughs> and he was raising a dysfunctional home. He's like, "You've got to hold those girls. Pick them up and hold them." I and mean, he had to like instruct this guy how to be affectionate, how to show pure love because he was not brought up in that environment. You know, and guys, I wasn't either. I mean, I'm not, I hug a lot of you guys and we hug up on each other. I hug guys on purpose that are uncomfortable just because I think it's fun. But, uh, you know, Mark Lockwood is the hugger in chief around here, you know. So there's nothing wrong with men hugging each other. I didn't get in, in on any of that until I got saved. You know, when I was, before I got saved, I was like, you know, get off me, man. What are you doing? You know, so it was just not, even my dad, I think he hugged me probably twice that I can remember once I was, you know ten ten years up and older so it just was not the the thing to do in the world i was in but there's something about affection that that when it's pure and unfortunately it's not always pure um, i learned that too i learned that too when i came to church so that's when all the rules came up because you got so many perverts running around the church so you're like okay you got all these rules you can't side hug this and two-point stance and you know all that so i had to learn all that but um but you know whatever um Uh, pure love man it needs to be displayed in human relationship because it's divine and that's what the world is missing they just don't have that you don't have it uh when you're not saved god gives you that divine love it's it's beautiful all right so love is always good to talk about right everyone likes to talk about love well not the dudes but anyway all right so point b moving on it's not limited to the godhead so there's other types of love mentioned in the bible all right so I've touched on that already there's agape love is the unconditional um love based in the highest standard of God's character it's it's a moral uh it's a moral love we have uh, sufficiently covered that I mean it is it is God uh that is expressed in him dying on the cross giving his body uh you know the father loving the world enough to sacrifice his own son uh, I mean just it's it's mind blowing morality I mean just it's a love that's beyond our ability to comprehend. And then uh, this looks like storage. It's not a mistyped, a mis, mistyped word. It's storage. Uh, I think is how we, we say that. And uh, it's a, it's from a Greek word that means kindly affection, like we would lo- like we would have in a family. So it's used as a compound in Romans twelve ten, uh, uh, philostorgos. Uh, and so philostorgos, I should say philostorgos. And it's cherishing one's kindred, especially parents or children, fond or natural relatives that is fraternal toward uh, fellow Christians, which I just explained that. That's more of the love that that we would be expressing um, when we're kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one before another or one another. So that's the kind of love that that we're talking about. It's more of a philostorgos if you're a Greek speaker, which I don't think any of us are. So. It's actually storgee also in the Greek, not that that matters. All right, so, and then there's one that people often hear of. Um, you could probably have guessed Philea, which is the root of Philadelphian or brotherly love, and we're very familiar with that, and uh, that's because it's in Revelation chapter 3. The church of Philadelphia was noted, obviously, for brotherly love. It was in the name, and it was in the character of the church. The love denoted in Romans 12, we're in Romans 12, if you look down at verse 10, it says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. So that verse there is dealing with that uh, Philadelphian uh, love. And then there's the Eros, which I was mentioning a minute ago. Uh, you know, what about that? Because that's the one many are familiar with. Um, and so <clears throat> it's often said that uh, that Eros love is, is found in the Bible. And, and that's true, but it's also false. The, the Greek word eros and its derivatives, if there, if there are any, are not found once in the New Testament or in the Bible. The Holy Ghost doesn't associate even the act of intimacy in the context of marriage with eros, which actually I didn't know that until I was studying this. So I'm, that's, I'm actually sharing with you guys some stuff I didn't know. Um, um, so many equate it with erotic or sexual love, and Christian commentators are careful to point out that it is, it's not dirty or perverse in the Bible. But I must say it simply isn't in the Bible. It is a Greek word, by the way, for, for love. So it's legitimate, but it's not in the Bible, at least in your King James or in the Texas Receptus. So the Bible does, uh, um, the Bible produces, uh, <clears throat> the Bible does uh, talk about the love being sexually, I'm sorry, i got to make sure my notes are right. It does talk about sexual activity in the context of love, but it doesn't use the word eros. So, in, in concept, the Greek word eros could apply to many passages to describe the sexual relationship between a husband or a wife, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, Song of Solomon is an example of the fruit of marriage that could be defined as eros. But that's in Hebrew, not in Greek. So, um, so if they use eros, it probably which I didn't check the. Uh, septuagint for those of you that know even what I'm talking about it probably is eros in the septuagint I didn't even check it cuz I don't give the septuagint a plug nickels worth of credit anyway so the, so no matter the case that that the example of song of solomon's um, expression of love would be an example of eros so uh just to be clear uh it is is true of all a copulation between married man and a married woman in the Scripture. However, the word eros is not used that one time in the New Testament. So why is that important? Why are you bringing this up, Brian? Well, I believe it's because the intimacy of a married couple in the Scripture is covered by the blood and the, and the bed is undefiled, meaning unsoiled. So God characterizes the spiritual nature of physical intimacy and doesn't conflate love with lust. Um, and so that 's what the world does, so that 's why I think that 's important. I found that very peculiar i 'm reading Christian commentaries equating you know intimacy between a husband and a wife to eros, and then I study my Bible and i can 't find it well i'm like well, what 's going on here? And I think that 's the reason. Um, I think it 's because god doesn 't see it that way. He 's the one who defines it. He says in marriage, the bed is undefiled, right it 's undefiled. It's sanctified. So uh, that's the sum of my own research, and others are free to disagree with my conclusion. Maybe school me if I'm seeing something wrong. This is a subject I realize that I'm not pulling this from anyone else. I'm just studying the Bible and coming up with this. So maybe if I'm not seeing this right, if you're watching this online, feel free to text me, call me, let me know, because I'm, I'm really open to looking at this further if I'm missing something. But that's what I'm finding in my study. Um, uh, and so I couldn't find it uh, in, the, in the once translated in the Bible. The, the word eros. So uh, I thought that was interesting. So erotic love, in essence, uh, though it is obviously discussed in the Bible and manifests in the Bible, um, it's not really the word itself is not there in the New Testament, which I found very interesting. So 1 Corinthians 7, 8, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them to abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, of course, what's he talking about? Burning in their lust, right? He doesn't want them to burn in a sexual desire. So, uh, but that sexual desire isn't isn't dirty if it's in the context of marriage. And I do see that we have little ears in here, so I want to be careful with what I say. But in Hebrews thirteen four, marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. All right. So, um, so there is a judgment on on. Uh, on that. So I think it's, a, and the reason I bring this out is God, we started off talking about love and God and, and um, agape love is pure, it's moral, and what you have in a marriage is not defiled. It is pure uh, in its expression and its, in its engagement because God has made it so. And so that's important. It's a really important for the cranium and the heart to get a hold of that because that's the main thing the devil's going to target. We're so over-sexualized, stimulated in this culture. Um, I don't even, and obviously, I'm talking about uh, inappropriate things on the Internet and all of that, but I'm not even talking about just that. There's inappropriate messaging in everything, I mean, outside of, you know, what's obviously across the line. And so um, so we really need to be, we really we really need to take a little bit more time and, and meditate on Ephesians 5 and look at the at the picture of Christ in the church and, and look at what was going on in Song of Solomon And obviously, the marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled. But uh, uh, in in all, I also would agree with with the reality that marriage is honorable even among lost people. Uh, It doesn't mean you're saved. It just means that God ordained marriage, period, in every dispensation. And so it's better to marry than not to be married, even among lost people. There was a time I, I believe a teacher, a preacher used to say that, well, if you're not married, if you're not a Christian, your marriage doesn't count. That actually leads to a lot of immorality, because then you basically, if that doesn't count, then nothing counts. And, that's, and that, at the end of the day, who does that hurt? Hurt the innocents, which are the children that are produced in those relationships. So, um, so I got that straightened out later down the road as I studied it out. No marriage, I just believe the Bible. It's honorable and all in the bed undefiled. But uniquely in a Christian marriage, um, I do think that there is, um, is, a, is a sense of intimacy there that the world can't even, can't even get to because they don't have that divine love that's inside of them. Okay, so point C. I probably have this on my mind since I'm getting ready to do a conference this week, so I've covered that. All right, so um, the power of God's love. Let's talk about that. Let me pause there. Any questions on what I've said thus far? All right. So the power of God's love, 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So God's love is powerful enough to conquer all fear. Isn't that nice? So um, I I read the verse, but you guys have seen it. So his love is powerful enough to conquer all fear. So God's love exists without the need for response. Though, uh, you know, obviously God appreciates response. Brotherly love and kindness require two parties. God's love is contained in the Godhead and is not dependent on our response or lack thereof, though God's love is offered to the entire world through his son Jesus. That's something to kind of think about. I mean, that, that's one of those deep thoughts, you know. <laughs> so you can, you can take a little bit of time going, wow. So if God's love doesn't require a response, why does he offer it? Because he loves you, right? He loves you. So um, in a sense, of, to receive the grace of God, you, you do have to receive the gift of eternal life. Uh, you could make the argument, well, if God's sufficient for sin, why didn't his death on the cross adequately cover people's sin? Why do you need to get saved? Well, why, that is a good question. Why do we need to get saved if Jesus died on the cross? Why doesn't his blood atonement just cover everybody because his love is so sufficient? He wants us to choose him. I agree with that. Why does he? What was? Why is that important? If he if his if he doesn't need our love, why is that important for us to choose him? That's a good question. I know. Theologically, you're getting a getting a conundrum there. Um, the only it is what you said it's it's love. He wants us to. love. If you love me, keep my commandments. That helped me so much with that verse. Because let me. I'll just talk to you about a, you know a, a love pervert you know i came out of the world so my concept of love was perverted so when i first got saved and i read john fourteen fifteen, if you love me keep my commandments you know how i viewed that probably like how you view your husband if you're a lady uh sometimes just like man that's overbearing what do you mean if you love me you keep my commandments who tells somebody if you love me do what i tell you that's exactly the way i saw it in my in my carnal cranium up here in my head has anyone else ever read it that way? You don't have to confess it, but yeah, I've I've I read that and I'm like, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, who says that, you know? But when you know, God doesn't need your love; He wants it because us loving Him is in our best interest. It's the lifeline He gave us to save us. It's so if we, we love Him, we the bio, the Gospel is a commandment. I mean, very clearly in Acts 17, Paul says, you know, um, oh, it's coming, it's uh, falling out of my brain. I'll have to look it up real quick. It's not in my notes. Um, he calleth all men everywhere to repent, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 2, right? Um, There's no other name under heaven whereby a man must be saved, right? You ha- these are command. This isn't an option. If you want eternal life, you come to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the way, the truth, and the life. However, having said that, if we love him, we keep his commandments because, well, number, his character, his good. why wouldn't you love him? Why wouldn't you keep his commandments? You can't indict his character. You can't indict anything because he's blameless and harmless. Uh, he loves us, and if we love him, it's in our best interest to keep his commandments. He's not being overbearing. He doesn't even need us. He wants us. There's no greater love than this, than a man laid down his life. For his friend, he's already demonstrated his love for us. There's no question about his love for us. It far surpasses our love for him. But you're right. You actually, you're right, um, Caleb. The, the reality is, if you love him, you keep the commandment. You call upon his name. Sure, his blood is sufficient, but you got to receive the gift. If you love him, you'll receive the gospel. You'll understand it. You'll receive it. Now, obviously, even with the aid of the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost teaches us all things whatsoever we should, um, whatsoever we should. Um, was that finish up? Lord, the Holy Ghost teaches all things whatsoever we should. Man, I'm having brain toots right now. John, John, chapter. Said unto you, that's it. At whatsoever He said unto us, so the Holy Ghost will teach us all things whatsoever He said unto us. So whatever He said to us, He will teach us. All right. So, um, so He'll even help us with our love by convicting us of sin. That helps us realize how the, to 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 have the ability to love him back and keep his commandment so uh, god is powerful in his love god's love exists without the need for response though it is appreciated and and, man well rewarded uh, because when you call upon the name of the lord the bible says you're saved Um, so god's love exists without the need for response god's love exists because god exists and is eternal so God wants us, but he doesn't need us. You might hear me say that every so, every so often. He wants us, but he doesn't need us. His, and his love is eternal. Therefore, when we receive the love of God, it's, it far surpasses any other love available in time because God's love is eternal. His love simply exists. And he has directed it toward us, not because we merit his love, but because he is loving by nature. right? It is who he is. God is love. He directs his love toward us, and he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. So many passages in Scripture uh, they reveal the power of God's love, but some of the most simple and common are some of the most powerful. And so, uh, the very some of the most simple and and powerful verses, like we just covered, um, you know, John three sixteen, Ephesians chapter three, verse seventeen, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye may that ye being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. So it's beyond three dimensions. He goes to four dimensions. That'll blow your mind. Like, where's the fourth dimension? Well, he, he talks about it in, in, a, in a different context. It's not three-dimensional. It's four-dimensional. Uh, <clears throat> what do you have? It, when, you, when I say that, what do you when you learn about Jesus and his love, what do you see? You see him in four dimensions. You see him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four cherubs, right? The fifth one was covering the throne. So you see all these... What is number, the number four manifests? God. It's always manifesting God's character. And so, anyway, just to kind of get off on a little tangent there. But uh, the love of God, <clears throat> he dwells in our hearts and we're rooted and grounded in love. We're, we're based in love. 1 John 3.16 says, Um, not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says this. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We should. He doesn't say you must. He says you ought. You ought to do that. Will you do it? That's up to you, but you ought to. Why does he say it like that? Because you have to choose. It's a choice. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling and an emotion. It's certainly not a... It's definitely not erotic in the sense of, you know, the world is the most base form uh, that when they think about love, it's like a it's a it's a bodily response. Well, that can be a part of it. But ultimately, true love is a decision that you make. It's a a heart and it's a mind decision. We love him because he first loved us. And, and, you know, we uh, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And we love him because he first loved us. And we understand that his love has been directed toward us. Even though he doesn't want, he doesn't need us, he doesn't want us, uh, that's what changes our heart. That's why we, we finally say, you know what, if I love him, I keep his commandment. How can I resist his love? The truth is you can. Even though it's divine, even though it's perfect, even though it's pure, it reveals our sin nature when we resist his love. When we resist his word, we resist his commandments. It has nothing to do with god it has everything to do with our impurity and our sinfulness Um, and so perfect love man it casts out sin so jude even jude gets in on this uh, keep yourselves in the love of god looking for the mercy of our lord jesus christ unto eternal life and so of course the context this is a this is a jewish epistle um and but and it's dealing also on the edge there revelation but there's a practical devotional application here where we have to be diligent to keep ourselves in the love of God. All right, so number five, any questions about that? That one That one about God exists, or number two there is pretty heavy to, to think about. I mean, I don't think I've got my head all the way around that one yet myself. So um, he, he just doesn't need us, but he wants us. That's awesome. Truly awesome. All right, the power of God's love is enough to reconcile the breach of sin. All right, so his love is enough to reconcile the breach of sin. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said, um, skin, my, um, skin may differ. I got a typo here. Uh, skin may differ, but affection dwells in black and white the same. Uh, if Dr. King was right, it was because God desires that men love him so that they have the capacity to love one another. The love of God is enough to reconcile the most distant sinner and calm the most raging sea. So God's love is truly awesome. I mean, immense. It's it's beyond our comprehension, and yet uh, we can have a, we can attain it through Jesus Christ, who is uh, the manifestation of God's love. So charity does hide a multitude of sins. That's what James 5:20 says. Charity hides a multitude of sins. And so the power of God's love is enough to reconcile the breach of sin. It's because God sent His Son to die on the cross. His love is what has bridged the gap uh, between His divine nature, which is spotless and pure, and our sinful nature, which was nailed to the tree. And of course, the way He did all of that throughout time and, and laying out the Bible—unbelievable! It's just, you know, what can you say? But God, God's love is truly awesome. He is awesome. And so uh, if we don't get a hold of the love of god, we can't offer it to others So that brings me to the next step, which is important when we're talking about interacting with um the body of christ because this is really this is dealing with It's so important as we think about how do we interact with one another Well, it starts with love but that love comes from god. We don't love each other because we're good guys. Oh, he's such a good guy She's such a good gal. They're just good people Not really, um they they're sinners but once they're saved they're good people because jesus is working in and through them so i don't ever correct somebody on that because i know what they mean and i'd say the same thing and you know what i mean but if we're getting technical about it like paul said in my flesh dwelleth no good thing right we're rotten without jesus we're rotten but because of jesus we're new creatures in Christ. Because of Jesus, we have walk in the spirit. We have a whole different dispense, uh, disposition, I should say, not dispensation. Um, and, uh, and so, man, that love changes everything, and it also affects forgiveness. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, in verse uh, 10, it says, To whom ye forgive anything, Paul says, I forgive also, for, <clears throat> for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, you know, this is important this is important to spiritual warfare. Forgiveness is a big deal. It's a big deal in all your relationships. It's a huge deal in the church. I mean, it's such an important deal that God I mean, He He tells it, He commands not only baptism, but taking the lord's supper right as often as you do that what are we doing we're remembering that jesus sat in an upper room before he goes to become the i mean he's the lamb of god he's celebrating the passover but he is the passover and everybody in that room is going to flee except for john and john's going to follow from afar you know uh and so john's the only one that made to the cross everyone in there is going to re, is going to basically run they're not going to stay with him uh, and of course, Judas, of course, betrayed him. He knew that was coming the whole time. But the, the point is this: is that he forgave them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He wasn't just forgiving the disciples. He's forgiven Israel. He's forgiven everybody that was crucifying him, including me, including you. I mean, that's that's some intense forgiveness. Um, and well, hey, so can we really hold a grudge? Really? Can you really can you stay mad at your husband or your wife forever? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're being honest back there. Okay. I can, and I will. So, Luke 7, uh, 747, like an airplane. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her, uh, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Of course, Jesus, in that context, is dealing with um, a woman who, they're saying, she's a sinner, get it her away. You know, how can you allow her to be here? It's like, whoa, her sins are forgiven. She's she's full of love. She appreciates forgiveness. So that's how we love others is really, we probably don't, if we're struggling loving other people, this is really, you want to just cut to the chase. What are we really struggling with? We're struggling with self-righteousness. We've forgotten how really rotten we are or we never really understood how wicked we are or can be. You know, you watch whatever media you watch that gets you, you know, whatever... Like, just take whatever media gets you fired up. I see stuff, you know, I have to resist. I just want to tweet back, right, or whatever, or answer back. You know, what is that? Well, that's because there's algorithms trying to to provoke me emotionally to respond to all kinds of horrible things, you know. Um, What what gets you riled up? Now, the reality is whatever's riling you up and you you can't stand that, um, without Christ, that could be you. You say, "Oh no, I would never do that. Well, hopefully you wouldn't, but you could you know you could. I came across a video uh, some filthy video of some uh, um, uh the title drew me in I don't remember what it was, but it was a bunch of this hoodlum random hoodlums i turned it I didn't watch the whole thing just beating ran it was trying it was inciting racism, you know, because there's black it happened to be African Americans beating white people. Uh, Which happens both ways, and uh, uh, you know all of it, and and what it incites in you, and their you know senseless crimes, terrible stuff. Now, don't get me wrong; those are real things. Those all should be judged. They should be judged harshly. I, you know, that's why I get emotional. I see something like that. That's why they they try to provoke you. What I'm saying though is this: what tempers us is understanding. Oh yeah, without Christ, that could be me. Not just the victim. But the victimizer, right, the person that's the predator, that could be you. Don't don't kid yourself. You know, it doesn't, you think, no, I would never do that. You you would do whatever your flesh wants you to do if you let it go long enough. That's one of the reasons I got saved, as a matter of fact. I started doing things I wasn't thinking I was willing to do. And I knew if I just let myself go, I was probably going down roads that I despised. I would have hated myself. Which is, that's when God's like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> You think that's bad, I had to die for your stinking sin, you know, and then I'm like, yeah, now I get it, okay, so you can forgive others, why because you 've been forgiven don 't get self righteous about this stuff uh, because you could you could be right there with them all right, Colossians one fourteen in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, I mean, and this is boy, is this not played out in the New Testament when you got the apostle Paul uh, who, who slew Je- stephen or was you know, the one that was consenting to his death turns around and becomes the spokesman <laughs> for the very message stephen was giving Wow Talk about how redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sin now paul wrote that The chief of sinners the he, did, he he wasn't meet to be an apostle. I mean he goes through the whole thing, you know, he just I mean if there's anyone that didn't deserve to be in the ministry. It was paul. Yeah, god put him in the ministry because God's love and grace and his forgiveness, his power to forgive. And, of course, Paul was super gracious, right? Um, it doesn't mean he, he was, it was easy, but, but he, uh, he definitely was meek. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So very clearly we have forgiveness through his blood. And he's not holding it against us. He's applying it to us. That's crazy. That's why you need to get saved. Because if you're not saved, you're accountable for that blood that was shed. You're resisting. You're rejecting the gift that God gave. The, the offering that God offered for your sin. And you're standing before God saying, no, I don't need that righteousness. I'll bring my own righteousness. Which is an, uh, it's an atrocious offense to a holy God. Uh, you, you deserve everything you get and more, you know, at that point. All right, so... Point A, Um, and I'm going to have to stop here because I'm over time. So let me just stop here. Forgiveness means we release people from their debts, offenses, and put them out of sight. So since we've been forgiven of our sins, we should be willing and able to forgive those who trespass against us. So that's what we'll pick up next time. And uh, if I apologize, I I probably could have gotten through all of this in one session. Probably not, actually. There's a lot here. It's a 2 sessioner anyway. So... We'll pick it up there on forgiveness uh, next time we get together and then after that we'll, we'll we'll transition to a little QA time. Now by the way, next week we'll have one we'll get through this and then the next week will be vision conference. so please make time in your schedule if you can also on Monday and Tuesday night to be here the first week of April uh, as we will have a, an outstanding uh, vision conference lineup for you. so and also in the daytime, Monday and Tuesday, we're having uh, daytime teaching sessions starting at nine o'clock. Uh, breakfast at eight and we'll go up through lunch lunch will be here for you if you can come in for that that'll be a great time and so uh, we're having sam miles will be in in the day brian barry will be in on sunday sam miles will be in on the sat on the monday morning mike blake uh jay boffman um, we'll have videos from jay from uh oaxaca from uh, joe Hendricksman uh, mark schaefer will have uh wednesday night or wednesday day joe uh, Tony God no Tuesday Tony Godfrey's preaching. Um, uh, Brian's going to do another session. Um, I, th- I think uh, I got someone else in there. I don't remember right now, top of my head. Uh, Tuesday night you're going to hear Mike Blake preach. Uh, he'll get the pulpit and that'll be good. Wednesday night Ray Stewart and Brian or and uh, and Brad McGuire will be preaching. So we're going to have a lineup. It's going to be good. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. And uh, as we focus on on uh, really just uh, being diligent about uh, what god has put in our sphere of influence as far as missions right here in north america church planning and uh, in our sphere of influence right here around us all right so any questions tonight before i close all right so we've talked about spiritual growth and development from our last session we jumped into how we interact with one another and what true love is and now we're working on forgiveness and so we're going somewhere with true forgiveness as well so, uh, and we're going to lead to repentance at the end. So you'll want to be here for that. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Let's stand together and uh, you can stretch your legs. You've been sitting a while and uh, we'll get ready to go. Heavenly Father.